Hello and welcome to Murph's Tavern. I am massive Simpsons dork Murphy McLaughlin. Every episode of this podcast, I'll usually talk about a different episode of The Simpsons with a couple of fellow fans who are mixing it up this episode. We're going to be talking about Simpsons merch, specifically the comics and the books. And to do that, I am very honoured to be joined by the first time we've had a guest on the show who's actually involved with The Simpsons. Uh, this is the man behind the merch. He was the creative director of Bongo Comics and co-founder which produced Simpsons comics, Radioactive Man, Bartman, etc., etc. He was the editor for several Simpsons books. He designed and drew countless items of Simpsons merch. I'm talking calendars, posters, the DVD art, video game art, clothing. It is an absolute honour to welcome to the show Bill Morrison. How are you, Bill? I'm great. Thanks, Murph. It's, uh, I'm happy to be on your show. Oh, th- it's so good to have you, uh, especially at the moment. I think you're very busy right now over in the US. It's like comic convention season, right? Yeah, I've been traveling uh, not every weekend, but there are there have been several weeks uh, where I've had to do one weekend after the next. So I've only got maybe two or three days during the week in between Yeah, um, before I have to get on a plane and head to another city. So... Is it because it's summer over there? Is that when most of them tend to happen? You know what? It used to be summer, and now it seems like the the convention season has gotten much longer. Yeah, right. Yeah, it seems like there's only maybe one or two months where you don't have a lot of conventions. But even so, (laughs) like, you know, there are conventions in December now, January. Um, I think there are so many conventions that, the, the newer ones try to vie for a spot that isn't already taken. So they end up in the winter months that wouldn't normally you know, or didn't used to have a convention. Well, I'm in Melbourne and I think we have one a year and that's for the country. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever been here? I've never I'm been. I, yeah. I really want to uh, come to <laughs> Australia. I, I have a very close friend, another cartoonist who is uh, from there. Uh, Jason Chatfield, who I, oh, yes. who I think is yeah, probably would... pretty well known where where you're in your parts because of uh, Ginger Megs, yes. if, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a bit of stand-up for a while as well. And then yeah. he, um, like yourself, I think he was running, was he running mad or was he just worked for? No, uh, when I was running mad, I hired him uh, to do a few things. Yeah. Uh, we, we've been longtime members of the National Cartoonist Society. Mm. And he was—he is currently my successor as president of that group. There you go. Oh, by the way, I should say congrats. You won an award at the San Diego Comic Con last week, a few weeks ago. Yes. It's the Inkpot Ink Ink yeah. Award. Yeah. Want to tell listeners a little bit about that if they don't, if they're unaware of what well, the Inkpot represents? Well, it's an award. Yeah, it's an award for um, general achievement in the comic arts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of outstanding achievement. So it's not a real specific award for any one thing. It's it's more of a um, not really a lifetime achievement award because a lot of artists get it young, right? Um, so you don't you don't really have to you know spend fifty years in the trenches to get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it doesn't hurt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it, yeah, great to see you recognized because you have been involved with so much stuff, Bill. Um, while we're on the Comic-Con talk, though, well, when you're at the comic convention, you've got your booth, you're set up, um, you're doing sketches and stuff. What's the go-to? Like, people can come pay. They can either 
what, get a drawing of themselves, like a caricature or just a sketch of a Simpsons character, a Futurama character? What's the most common thing people are coming up to you for? Probably the most common is Homer. Yeah. Uh, Homer yeah. Bart, sometimes Bender. Yeah. If people, if people ask me to, you know, if it's artist choice, I usually do Radioactive Man. Yeah, yeah. Radioactive Man, you kind of, because he, uh, for those who don't know, uh, you were behind the Radioactive Man comics, which is spun off from, from the show. Um, right. But, which was already a character in The Simpsons, but you kind of put your own spin and redesigned him a little bit, didn't you, when it came yeah, to Yeah. The, um, the, the first thing that I did uh, when we started doing the comics, which actually began in um, Simpsons Comics and Stories, Yes, right. Yep. I I looked at the design from the show and I I thought it was weird that he had sort of a a very uh sleek head shape and you really couldn't see the ears. Like there were no bumps yeah. where the ears would be and I thought, well, some of my favorite superheroes, you know, from the 60s and 70s like uh Yellow Jacket was one um that had you know, sort of like these cups, these sort of oval cups on the on where the ears would be. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, that would look cool. That to me would make the character look a little better designed. Uh, so I added that, and uh, nobody uh, <laughs> nobody complained about it. So yeah. we sort of kept it. Uh, Steve Vance was really the um, the orchestrator, the maestro of uh, the Radioactive Man comic when we. Uh, launch bongo we did six issues and he wrote five um i think he might have scripted all of them but i think i wrote the story for the third one they were kind of parodying existing comic book like comic books from history right yeah on the show you know there wasn't a lot known about radioactive man other than that his origin was sort of similar to the hulk yeah. In that he was caught in a nuclear blast. And so we sort of ran with that. Um, but we fleshed everything out. We gave him a cast of characters. You know, we gave him more villains and mm. uh, a love interest. You know, Fallout Boy existed on the show, but you really didn't know much about him. Yeah. So we, we sort of gave him Spider Man's origin. Yes. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or yeah. A parody of Spider Man's origin. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it was Steve who decided let's make every issue. Um, as if it was a, you know, maybe sort of a reprint of an issue mm. from a specific era of comics. Yeah. Started him in 1952, I think mainly just um, because of all the bomb testing that was going on right. in the in the Western United States during that time. And, uh, and then we just proceeded from there. So the first one was 1952. The second one, we jumped ahead about 10 years to, and made that an early Marvel Mm. Uh, sort of Fantastic Four slash Avengers parody. Um, and then we jumped into the early 70s, and that was the one that I co-wrote. Um, and the, re the reason behind that was uh, we wanted to do a satire on the Neil Adams Green Lantern, uh, Neil Adams Denny O'Neill, I should say, Green Lantern Green Arrow series that was really groundbreaking in the early 70s and dealt with you know, protests and, and drug use and all kinds of relevant topics at the time. Yeah. And we, we want, so we wanted to do something with that, but um, weirdly Steve Vance had grown up 
not reading DC Comics. He, he only read Marvel as a kid. By the way, is this the one you're talking about? I'm just going to yes. hold it up. Yeah, there you go. That just happens to be one of the few. I <laughs> yep, spot on. Yeah, so we did a parody of the the famous drug issue where, radio, where um, in the original, uh, Green Arrow finds out that his ward Speedy is a heroin addict. Right. <laughs> um, so we we just softened that a bit and made yeah. it a dirty hippie. <laughs> I remember being so confused as a kid because I was getting these when I was like eight or nine, and um, you've—it's such a nice touch that you've numbered them as if and dated them as if they actually came out in the sixties, seventies, eighties. So this says at the top, number two hundred and sixteen, August nineteen seventy-two, and I right. remember being so confused because like, but I thought the Simpsons had only been out <laughs> for a few years, and I was asking my mom, like, "Mom, do you remember these?" Like. <laughs> I didn't fully get it, but uh, no, very, very good. I think you've said on a podcast it annoyed a lot of um, like comic book stores and stuff, right? The way yeah. you numbered them, <laughs> um, they they were um, peeved to say the least <laughs> because they they really didn't understand it. I think we were yeah. the first ones to do that um, sort of yeah. trickery. But um, <laughs> Steve actually came up with. You know, because the sixth issue in the series was number 1,000. Right. So, he, he said, yeah. let's be the first comic book to get to a number 1,000. Yeah. And this was way back in the 90s, you know, long before DC or Marvel had any, any hopes of, yeah, you know, Detective Comics 1,000 or anything like that. So, Steve actually had it came up with a chart that showed the frequency of publication if Radioactive Man started in 1952, which was a good, you know, more than a decade later than Action or Detective would have started. <laughs> yeah. So already it's sort of a handicap. Yeah. And so he figured, okay, for the for Radioactive Man to have started in 52 and then gotten all the way up to um, 1000 by 1994, how often would it have had to have been published? Yeah. <laughs> so for for a lot of the history of it, it was just published monthly, but sort of riffing on um, Action Comics, which came out weekly in the eighties. Um, he said, "Okay, what if what if like at some point during the eighties it came out two times a week, <laughs> um, and then three times a week, and it was just got ridiculous." Um, but because of that, when we relaunched Radioactive Man. We could actually refer to that chart if we, yeah. if we wanted to do a, a comic that came from any specific year. We could refer to that and figure out, okay, if this comic is coming out in November, what yeah. number would it have to be <laughs> in order to be correct? That's awesome. And that's yeah. all behind the scenes. Nobody, you know, yeah. that wasn't anything <laughs> that was um, known really to the fans. That was just for our own sort of peace of mind. No, I love the commitment. Um, I actually, I watched a real old episode of The Simpsons the other day where Grandpa gets a bunch of money and Bart's like, and I want Radioactive Man number, whatever it was. That's the one where he first fights Dr. Crab. I'm wondering, did you, would you have noted that and be like, all right, well, when we do that one, that's the one where he fights Dr. Crab. (laughs) Well, I think by the time that came out, we had already done the first issue. Oh, right. (laughs) Already already introduced Dr. Crab, so... um, (laughs) Yeah, the show didn't always follow the continuity of the comics. Yeah, as, as faithfully as we followed the continuity <laughs> of the show. 
Well, did that annoy you when, like, um, for instance, pretty radioactive man heavy episode, the one where they do the movie? Um, yeah, it's like the goggles; they do nothing. Um, did you uh, watch that and be like, "No, no, you're getting it all wrong," <laughs> or was it like, or was it actually you kind of got a bit of inspiration f- from it? Kind of both. Um, yeah, you know, we would we would take note of the fact that they weren't really paying attention to what we were doing and didn't yeah. really care. Um, but then we would also go, "Oh, they did this thing." Well, we, well, we actually did a movie adaptation. Yeah, you know, created, yeah, right. We we That's took the right. scenes that they showed in that episode, yeah, which were kind of random and you know not really connected at all yeah. to a story, and we built a story around those scenes, yeah. and then came out with our own, which was um, the cover was a parody of the Batman Returns um, adaptation right. movie adaptation that DC had put out in their yeah, own nineties. That's real cool. Um, we'll talk a bit about just Simpsons comics in general. And by the way, if the listeners want a whole history of Bongo comics and even just how you became involved with the Simpsons, um, you've covered that brilliantly in a few other podcasts, Bill. So we won't go too much into that. But and I'll okay. chuck the I'll put the links up online of other podcasts you can check out where you've um, we've talked about uh, your history and that sort of thing. But here's uh, one of the first Simpsons comics I got, uh, number twenty or twenty one, I think. You can uh-huh. see my, my names at the top, so I didn't lose it at school. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's actually funny, this is one, because on if you flip it over, you've got Roswell. Oh, yeah. Right, that's uh, when we, we uh, launched Roswell in four issues of The Simpsons. So, we, yeah. I sort of got the hijack Simpsons <laughs> comics and uh, introduced my own character. Yeah. Which, when. Usually on the back, which is one of the things I loved about it, is you you basically get a bonus comic. So, you've got the main Simpsons comic and then you flip it over and then it's, um, I think I've got like a compilation book here, um, Simpsons Strike Back and I'll flip through it. This has some good examples. You've got um, Headlight Comics, which is um, like a parody of old school, like film noir type stuff, right? With Otto. And then you've got... Uh, basically, all the little side characters got their own little comic. Everywhere. Yeah, that was our way of, you know, there were some characters that we weren't really sure could sustain their own title. Yeah. Or, or if we even had the bandwidth to do a new title based on, say, Barney or Mo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but it was cool to be able to do these short stories, but also give them their own cover as if, mm. you know, I mean... Visually, if you flip it over, the back, you know, the the uh, short backup story was printed upside down, so that, you know, if you picked up the comic the wrong way, you might think you actually had Barney Gumble number one. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and you were kind of ahead of your time, really, because um, when twenty two short films about Springfield came out, like ninety six, I think, um, yeah. that was kind of a similar sort of thing where they gave all these minor characters their own story. They became, right. you know. Yeah. Yeah, whereas you'd been, yeah, every every month you'd been doing variations of that, really. But, yeah, I think you did Bus Man as well back in the early days. Did. Um, yeah, that was, I think, an issue <laughs> three, maybe. It was, yeah. it was a real early one. We had done this, um, I don't know if I've talked about this in another podcast. We, When we first decided to launch Bongo, we were, we were planning to launch in November. Mm-hmm. So we went to San Diego Comic-Con that summer, uh, so in July, uh, and just for the only 
for the sole purpose of just announcing that Bongo was coming, um, passing out promotional material. We didn't have a booth or a table or anything, but we did do a signing. We did a signing of Simpsons Comics and Stories number one, which was which, you know pre-Bongo. Just, just found, by the way. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah, so that was pre-Bongo. Uh, that was actually the second annual issue of the Simpsons Illustrated magazine. Right. Um, but, you know, we just went down there to kind of sound the horn and let people know that come November, there would be a whole bunch of Simpsons comics coming out. So uh, one of the things that we came up with was this little, very cheaply printed ash can called the history of Bongo comics. And it featured a phony history <laughs> uh, dating all the way back to the 1930s. And uh, I, I did illustrations of all these comic covers that didn't exist um, to illustrate this fake history of Bongo comics going all the way back to the beginning of the comic industry. Yeah, nice. And so when we started doing these backup stories, we borrowed from that Ashcan and uh, Busman or uh, Headlight Comics was one of the ones that we did. Right. Uh, that was featured in that one. Uh, Edna, Queen of the Jungle. Right. Was yeah. one. And I can't remember what other ones, but we also had um, Hellfire Comics with Reverend Lovejoy. Oh, uh, yes. That eventually got a backup story. Um, Was that the one where it's kind of like Bart has vandalized it as well? Yeah. Or is that a set? Yeah, I, that was real cool. Yeah. That's what we did eventually. We, we Yeah. It was it was as if Bart had taken a red magic marker and it changed words. Yeah. To make it funnier. Yeah, but a lot of those, a lot of those uh, ideas for the short backup stories came from that initial yeah. Simpsons um, or uh, history of Bongo comics. I really love that you used the comic to your advantage to do stuff that the show couldn't. Um, like one of my favorites is it's kind of told backwards. I think it's yes. about the quick quickie mart and it yeah. starts off. And I remember reading that being like, what is this? And it was just so cool. And then you could read it again and figure it all out. Um, another one I really liked, which I guess you could have done this in the show, but it was where, Frink puts like something in the microwave which turns the whole town different. And yeah. it's, so it's like Homer's a mobster, but Millhouse is the cool kid. Flanders is like a radio shock jock. Did you obviously on the show there's like a writer's room uh, and they pitch ideas every year for the new season? Yeah. How did it come about at Bongo, like the ideas side of things, pitching stories and whatnot? Well, um, you know, we didn't have the luxury of the writer's room, but we yeah. did have some talented freelance writers who worked on their own. Yeah. Um, and the the way it would uh, happen every issue, it was either I would come up with an idea or somebody else at Bongo would say, hey, it'd be fun if we did, you know, a story about this. And then I would, as the editor, I would pitch that idea to a writer and say, hey, would you be interested in writing a story based on this idea? Yeah. Or more commonly, the writers would pitch me ideas and I would get I would get like beat sheets. Um, with maybe half a dozen different story pitches and I would green light however many of them I liked and then they would go off and write them and then we would get uh, you know rough draft scripts and then uh, you know I'd go through the process of honing and fine-tuning those. When they write the script is it like a tv show script or a movie script or has it got its own different format being a comic? It's different And, and one of the one of the problems we had when we started um working with some of the 
show writers or, yeah. or writers that weren't necessarily on the Simpsons show, but had come from uh, writing television. Yeah. Um, is I, you know, they had to be educated, a lot of them, as to how to structure a comic script so that an artist right. could follow it. So, gotcha. you know, a TV, a TV script just has, you know, action and dialogue and there's no uh, break other than the breakdown into different acts, act one, act two, act three. Yeah. Uh, with comics, it's page one and it, it would typically say page one, six panels, panel one, there would be a description and then oh, right. dialogue, panel two, description and dialogue. Um, and it would just go that way throughout the throughout the script. So as the editor, I could read that and go, you know, look at it and say, well, I don't know, there's too much going on in these panels. We're going to have to, you know, you've got six panels here, but you've got like eight panels worth of action and dialogue. So we need to expand this. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and sometimes that meant cutting out part of the story because we might have to add a page to one part of the story and we only have 22 pages. So we can't yeah. afford that. You know, we'd have to cut something. Uh, there you go. Uh, we could talk about the comics all day, but we only have a yeah. certain amount of time. So I'll move on to the books and look, uh, listeners will know this book because I bring it up every episode and uh, I'm not sure if you've ever seen a book this mangled, Bill, but here wow. is. Wow. <laughs> that is well guide. Yeah, yeah. No, I got this when I was seven or eight. Uh, and you can actually, like, pages are literally falling out from the later. Uh, yeah, probably the, the glue the glue and the binding <laughs> probably just dried out. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, well loved this book. Um, you were involved in it. Do you want to just give a quick summary of your memories of the, of the making of The Complete Guide? Sure. Um, well, because Matt Groening retained all the publishing rights, to the Simpsons when he made his deal with Fox. Um, when we started Bongo, it just made sense for all the Simpsons publishing projects, which Matt was sort of overseeing randomly with different publishers. It made sense to bring those into Bongo. And even though we did publish with HarperCollins and uh, Abrams Books and other companies, all the creative was done in-house at Bongo. So... I don't remember who wanted to do the episode guide. It might've come directly from Matt. Yeah. But I remember working with Fox, um, which normally we didn't do on the comics. We didn't really have to run anything by Fox or yeah. work with them much at all, other than to get reference from uh, the animation studio. Right. But uh, in this particular case, um, because it was the official episode guide and it, it was linked directly to the show. Yeah. We worked with Antonia Kaufman, who is the Simpsons still to, to this day, the Simpsons uh, publicity uh, executive. Right. So she's in charge of like every magazine article on the Simpsons that you see um, all the publicity surrounding the show, personal appearances of the voice actors and, uh, um, the writers, all of that, you know, goes through her. Um, so I remember working with Antonia and I think she brought in a writer who had, who had some experience in writing episode guides and working for TV guide. Magazine. Yeah. Is the Ray Richmond? 
Yeah. On the top, yeah. I've got on the front cover, it says edited by Ray Richmond. And I've never seen that name again with any Simpsons related stuff. So I was yeah. always wondering about that. He was yeah. an outside writer, but uh, we worked with him. He was great. And, um, cool. you know, we, we basically handled the, uh, the graphics for the book, the design of the book. And uh, we also did some editing in house. Yeah. Um, mainly copy editing, uh, trimming things down so they would fit the space that we had and that kind of thing. So that was for the first volume, uh, for subsequent mm. volumes, I think, um, Scott, yeah, I Gimple, Scott Gimple, I know wrote, uh, some of that. Yeah. I got Scott's name on that one. These ones aren't as thumbed through cause I got them when I was older, but <laughs> I've then got Jesse McCann's name. Yes. On this we brought one. Jesse in and he was one of the comic writers as well. Yeah, right. Yeah, so so after that initial episode guide, um, I don't I don't remember the reason why, but I know we did more in house. We didn't have right. we didn't have Ray, and we didn't have as much um, involvement with Antonia over at Fox. It's um, yeah. The art is if you flip through these books, they look absolutely amazing, uh, especially kind of as you um, get through the later ones, because every episode gets a double spread as it goes on. Um, we have a game on this uh, podcast actually where we, because we talk about different episodes usually every pod and we, we guess which character has been chosen for okay. the episode that we talked about. <laughs> so, for example, easy one, I've just flipped it open to Flaming Moe's. Uh-huh. A nice picture there and you've got Mo. Um, we, we find there's some real obscure ones, some obscure choices and stuff. Sometimes you've got uh, an episode all about whacking day and uh, we're like, okay, is it Quimby or is it Barney? Or And it's Richard Nixon is who they've chosen. So, <laughs> we're like, what? He's in it for five seconds. Uh, so, it's a lot of fun. Do you remember, uh, not just with the character choices, but like just the choices of the images that were used? Like, was there much arguments and discussions over how, um, how those decisions were made? I don't recall uh, much argument. I mean, generally, whoever was the writer would pick those. And right. as the editor, I would I would either accept or reject the selection. Okay. And yeah, and right. I don't remember rejecting many. You know, there might have been a few that I was like, no, oh, let's do this character instead. Okay. I mean, the, one, the, yeah. the example you just just cited. Um, yeah. I probably would have gone with Evil Homer, right? Yeah. <laughs> totally. Exactly. Yeah. But. Uh, uh, well, this uh, one is probably, I was going to say, this is my favorite, what the hell, um, because it's the episode with Jay Sherman uh, from uh, The Critic, and old Jewish man has been chosen, <laughs> who <laughs> I'm pretty sure we watched recently for the pod, and I, we don't think he's in the episode. <laughs> we we might have missed him, but oh, we were really? like, yeah. Huh. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, you know, I wonder, it's, uh, I wonder if that might have been a... Um... Like maybe a copyright issue. What? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I think they haven't chosen. I think you didn't go with Jay Sherman because I think maybe he was owned by the critic, or I, I don't know. Same reason. Is there? Is that why you didn't um ever do profiles for the actual celebrities that appeared? For example, if the Beatles were in an episode, you didn't actually choose. Yeah, um, because when when those when when somebody's on the show playing themselves. Yeah. Um their deal is to be on the show. I mean, that's what, yeah. that's what their contract stipulates. And it 
and it specifically says, you know, their likeness can't be used on merchandise without a separate contract. That's why I like when, when the action figures came out of some of the celebrities, they had to negotiate, you know, deals with those uh, people, you know, just to, to do it. It's not, yeah, you know, it's not just because they were on the show, you know, we can exploit them and use them in books and merchandise and everything else. So that's probably why we, I, I don't have a strong memory of that, but um, yeah. that's, that's probably why we didn't do yeah. any, any actual celebrities in the book. That makes I mean, we sense. Can, we can talk about them and we can, um, you know, obviously they're in the show, so. Yeah, it'd be a bit hard, for example, for the episode with Mel Gibson if you just <laughs> had no mention of him. Yeah, um, but you just, couldn't then choose him as the character. It's just the likeness. Yeah. Using the likeness is, is yeah. the issue, yeah. And, of course, you did – I don't own it, uh, but you did redo those first couple books um, when you released Simpsons World a yeah. few years ago. So, that was basically the first 20 seasons, I think. Yeah, the first 20. And because because we had done double-page spreads for some of the later ones, I felt that it would be weird to only cover, you know, some of the episodes with a single – page and then others with a double page i thought let's expand it and and that also that also gives people who've already bought the books a reason to want to have this because yeah yeah more art it's got you know just more treatment of of their favorite episodes yeah so so at that point i think we because trios of horror was um double page spreads from the beginning Right. Thought, yeah. Well, let's give those four pages. Yeah, yeah. So, no, that's cool. Yeah. And it's cool too because I think people, yeah, would appreciate. Like, I remember um, flipping through this book and you've got one of your favorite episodes. Like, for example, one of my favorites is the future one, Lisa's Wedding. Mm-hmm. And that's only got the one page. So, it's nice to be then able to, you know, feel like it gets what it deserves. Right. <laughs> the double spread. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, the few other books you've been involved with, Bill, because um, that's obviously you know amazing book. But there's um, you're basically just you know quoting the show itself. Um, you're kind of limited a bit in terms of how much creative control. Whereas this book, on the other hand, uh, The Simpsons Guide to Springfield, <laughs> obviously, uh, ba- it's all based on uh, uh, locations and places that have been in the show. That's right. your source, but every it's just. Every page has an amazing piece of original art, uh, and every um, I think this is Scott Gimple. Maybe I could be wrong, but all yeah. the yeah, all the places have their own write up, like completely original as well. Like they've made up backstories for like um, the Aphrodite Inn, uh, Shot Kickers, um, Planet Hype, like all these places that you've seen on the show. Some just as background signs now have like their own little story um what's your memories of of the production of this book well i I remember uh i think i think that might have been pitched to me by scott and at at the time scott if people don't know scott gimple is the showrunner currently on the walking dead right yeah um but he started out as a young writer at bongo as my editorial assistant so Scott and I would work on a lot of things together. And I think he probably pitched that. And he said, what if we did a uh, a guide to Springfield that's done like a photos um, travel guide? 
Yeah. Or, or one of those, you know, travel books that you, for a specific place, a specific city that you find in bookstores. And I thought it was a great idea. And so, you know, he went off and wrote it and, uh, you know, I, I think I edited and, you know, contributed some ideas, but I think it was mostly Scott. And, uh, we, we contacted, uh, film Roman mm -hmm. and asked them to just send us every background they could lay their hands on <laughs> that, that had, uh, one of these locations in it. So yeah. we had, we had background reference to use, and then we would, you know, create these situations for the, um, quote unquote photos in the book yeah. of the actual locales. Um, I, I just yeah. remember it being a lot of fun. Um, there was the thing about the, are we there yet? Yeah. You created your own little co company. Are we there yet? And at the back, yeah. it's got, um, look for these other fine publications in right. the, are we there yet series? <laughs> and it's got, are we there yet? Shelbyville, North Haverbrook, Ogdenville. So yeah, some nice real, uh, it's got Screamville, uh, Lake Flaccid, <laughs> Yeah, some real good, uh, and then at the end, just New York City. Um, some really good uh, <laughs> Easter yeah, eggs I, there. I just yeah. remember, um, I mean, everything we did at Bongo, uh, we were all, and still are all fans of The Simpsons, of mm. the show. And so for us, it was just great fun to, um, to do all these in jokes, you know, because we knew, yeah. you know, we we had a lot of contact with our fans who are also fans of the show um, just through, you know, Comic-Con or yeah. um, fan letters that we would get. Um, so we kind of knew what would tickle people mm, and what, yeah. and what, as you've proven, uh, people would be talking about 30 years later. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was great fun to just do all these Easter eggs and, uh, you know, create these things that were laden with things that fans would, um, you know, find delight in. And uh, one of the things that Matt always said early on is, and, and this goes to like on the show when you've got all the, what are I think known as freeze frame gags, mm, yeah. you know, things in the background that you miss unless you taped it or now yeah. you can pause it and, and, read what the sign says in the background or whatever. Um, Matt's reason for that was, he said, you know, I always love to reward fans for paying attention. For sure. And that was yeah. something that was one of our credos all throughout the history of Bongo. We always looked for ways to do that. That's awesome. Speaking of rewarding fans, this is a pretty old school book. Um, I have it here, The Simpsons Family Album. Uh, which I flicked through uh, earlier today and I saw you're credited here as uh, under creative team, Bill, as Bill Babe Morrison. <laughs> that hasn't stuck over the years? <laughs> it strangely hasn't. Um, and you know what? I really can't remember how that... That was, a, that was a, an in-joke... Based on something, and I really don't. I remember somebody calling me babe. Yeah. And I don't remember who it was, but <laughs> I, I jokingly said, and don't call me babe. Right. And then, um, and then so I think that was just a, a, a dig at me for that. <laughs> well, um, you can tell this is an older copy because I think now when they sell this, Homer's on the front, 
showing yes. your arm. Was that yeah, a decision because it was a bit too risque having Bart doing it or what? Not that I recall. I think I think it was just, um, uh, you know, they wanted to come out with the book with a new printing. And I think it was just a way of refreshing ah, okay. the book and, and giving it a new face. And, and by then, Homer had sort of taken over the show. Yeah, yeah, true. Because, I mean, we continued to show Bart's bum over the years many times. Uh, we've done it even on the, the Bart Simpson comic. Yeah, well, we were actually talking about this on a recent episode, how much merch there was back in the day where Bart was nude. Like, there's so many, like, T-shirts and stuff where he's he's uh, naked and, yeah, <laughs> constantly in the comics and the books, you see his bum and stuff. Uh, yeah, there, <laughs> there wasn't any pushback from that at all from anyone? No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I, I don't know if there would be today. But yeah, um, you know, it was a different world back then. So yeah, you know, we got away with a lot of stuff that people just thought is cheeky. Uh, yeah, no pun, yeah. In, no pun intended. <laughs> um, and well, uh, everybody loved it, you know. And yeah, people always ask me, uh, or not always, but I, I did a panel recently, and somebody said, you know, did you notice like sales spikes uh, for certain characters on covers or anything like oh, yeah. that? And uh, I said, well, no, but, you know, Homer in his underwear uh, always always brought the sales figures up. <laughs> there you go. And I have no idea if that's true or not, but it sounds good. <laughs> uh, well, flipping through this, but you're talking about rewarding um, viewers and stuff. Like, this book is a great example where you've got so much original content. Yeah. And it was early days. I think this book came out in, like, 91. For those that don't know, it's basically a uh, history of... Uh, it's the Simpsons family album. So, you've got photos of when Bart, Lisa, Maggie were born, stuff that Homer and Marge were up to before they got married, uh, adventures yeah. they've gone on. And it's as if, as if compiled by Marge as well. It's yes. Like her own, yeah. her own notes about things. Mm. And- it's such a nice touch. And you've got like this one where it's like Marge's gray hair and she, it's like she's taped it to the book. Yeah. It's just really... Really clever. Yeah, there's flyers um, like for her first rock concert that she ever yeah. attended and uh, all kinds of cool stuff. Now, you would have had to consult with the show a bit for this because I worked it out, I did the maths, and this came out, I think, around the same time that the episode I Married Marge came out, which is where you find out uh, it's like a multi pronged origin episode. You find out how like Marge and Homer got married, how like Bart was born and Homer got his job at the power plant. And you've got references to, to that in this book. I think maybe a few of the facts are wrong, like the name of the casino they get married at and stuff like yeah. that. But for the most part, it's almost like, because I worked it out and it's like it really matches up with the time this that episode came out. It's almost like it goes, it's a companion piece almost. Um, do you remember if there was much consulting with the show when, when this book was made? Well, uh, Millie, Millie Smythe was uh, in charge of that book. And a lot of the early books right. um, before Bongo was formed, uh, mm-hmm. the, the books that came out and also the calendars, everything that fell under publishing, which, as I mentioned, Matt retained the rights to, um, yeah. were either spearheaded by Millie Smythe or Stephen Cindy Vance. And I remember Millie um, coming up with the Uncensored Family album and she would do she did layouts for everything. Um, I remember. Yeah. I wasn't involved as a writer on that one, 
um, because I don't think I was really even writing yet, but um, I I received um, layouts from Millie and basically, you know, just had to kind of put things on model and, and flesh out backgrounds and things like that. You know, I'm sure Matt was was pretty closely involved because Millie and Matt always yeah. worked closely together. And so he probably was able to feed her scripts and that's if, it. If, yeah. You know, it was an episode that hadn't come out yet. She probably had advance notice of it. Yeah. Yeah, the inside scoop. I want to share my screen. I'll show you what my um what my desk at home is like cuz um I had the calendars as kids and uh not sure if you can see that, Bill, and I'll put it up for the listeners. My mum was into decoupage, so this is when I needed a desk at um, for high school. We uh, cut all the bits from all the different um, calendars and stuff and put them all on this desk. Um, wow. And I still have that desk to this day. Um, all so, I can, oh, now I can see it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. I think, it's, I think it's really fabulous that you still have that. It's great. Yeah. I mean, it's cool because, you know, instead of having a boring desk at work, uh, I can just look down and, hey, there's Krusty. But uh, no, yeah, it's cool. And those were like other TV shows. If they released a calendar, maybe they would have just taken, you know, the easy route, just had a few pictures from the show. But there was so much original content that went into those. Do you remember many of the what went into making those calendars and all that stuff? Normally, uh, you know, before Bongo was producing them um i would just get a call from millie and she'd say hey we're working on the new calendar and it's going to be you know scenes of the simpsons through history um and and then she would you know just send me a rough layout or it's going to be the simpsons around the world in different countries um it was always fun um there were always great gags um eventually when bongo started doing them then i was more involved in the planning I think we're like, uh, I think we did like, May- see, I'm, I'm having trouble because every example I'm thinking of is a Futurama calendar. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we can talk. I mean, we have, you know, this is a Simpson podcast, but uh, for those that don't know at home, you've been quite heavily involved with Futurama. Um, you've helped even design a few of the, uh, the characters and stuff, right? Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I worked as the art director on the show. Yeah. While I was still at Bongo, so kind of simultaneously. <laughs> yeah, I remember you saying on a podcast it uh, was quite a, burned you out a fair bit, right? You were jumping from one gig to the other. I've got yeah. here Futurama Comics number one, actually, um, which has a little, uh, th- again, great thing about the comics. It's, it's not just the story, which itself is great because it's always original content, but you've got little bonus stuff as well. And here you've got... Um, the Fry That Time Forgot, which is des- early designs of Fry. Um, like, uh, Were you involved with uh, with any of these sketches? Bill? Yeah, a lot of those were mine. Um, yeah, cool. Some, I think, are Millie. Some are Matt. Yeah. And I think Gail, yeah. Gail Hendrickson was also working on the character designs early on, before, like even before Matt pitched the show to Fox. Yeah. Um, Is there a certain character on Futurama or certain traits of anything on the show that has the has the Morrison touch? I remember Zap Brannigan. Um, yeah. His his uniform was mostly me. Um, yeah. And I remember basing it on uh, Shatner's uniform in one of the Star Trek movies, sort of like a belted yeah, right. tunic kind of thing. Um, 
the funny thing though was I didn't imagine him with bare legs. I was thinking he would. I was oh, like, when right. I drew the legs, <laughs> I was thinking they were sort of tights, you know, sort of the same same yeah, maroon yeah. <laughs> color as the tunic, just like in the Star Trek film. When I when I saw him colored by the uh, by Rough Graph, the animation studio. <laughs> I thought, oh my God, that's brilliant! <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if it was one of the uh, one of the artists over there at Rough Draft, or if it was one of the show writers, or maybe Matt himself. But somebody looked at just the line art, not colored, and sort of interpreted yeah. that as he's wearing a short little skirt, and <laughs> um, saw the comedy potential in that. Yeah, I was going to say because they had so a lot of jokes came yeah. from that. Uh, we better wrap it up, Bill. Um, but look really appreciate you taking the time to do the pod is there anything in particular you're working on right now or that's coming up that you want to well uh, of interest i think to simpsons fans um i've been doing some packaging art for the action figures from super seven cool that i think are a big hit they've been doing a really great job with those so i've got some art coming out that uh, on some of the packaging one of the recent jobs I did was I did a poster illustration for the two-part episode of Serious Flanders. Ah, yes, which is quite, uh, we we on the show sometimes, uh, we don't speak as highly as the newer episodes as the classic years, um, but that's, that, I, that was great. I watched that two-parter. And, I agree. Yeah, I, really good. I thought it was a terrific episode and, you know, it's, I don't know what the running time is when you combine the two together but i mm. thought you know this is almost a movie um and yeah, i love the fact yeah. that it was a little yeah. bit like trios of horror and that it was out of continuity um i won't mm-hmm. no spoilers or anything but you know characters die that wouldn't yeah. you know aren't really dead in the show so it's that puts it definitely yeah. outside of regular continuity like like a trios episode would be yeah. and i i just thought that was great and i told um matt selman you know he's one of the producers on the show and he's the one that commissioned me to do the poster. I, I said, you know, th- yeah. I really love these episodes. And and I said, you know, if the show ever does wind down and you guys just start doing movies, I think this is a really good model mm. for the, the type of films you could do. Yeah. They're in such a good situation because they've got hundreds of characters. So they can do stuff like that where they, you know, still maintain their same personalities and characteristics, but pull them in a different situation or timeline stuff like that um and you've done a few you still do promo art for the show it's not just um serious flanders right you've done a few yeah i did um, the i did the poster for um the thanksgiving of horror a couple years ago yep yep um yeah so every so often they they bring me in on a project i'm i'm not living in los angeles currently i'm in michigan um so you know they have to reach out a little bit further to get to me but uh I'm always happy when they do. No, awesome, Bill. Well, uh, and we'll put links to all your all your projects and stuff. But uh, is there anything else before we wrap it up that you wanted to give a shout out to? Uh, no, I, I think that mm-hmm. that pretty much does it. Although I had a great time. And if you want to have me on for a part two, I'd be happy to come back on. Fantastic. Because, yeah, there is so much we didn't get to talk about, Bill, because you're behind so many amazing uh, projects. The show is uh, been involved with it over the years so yeah really an honor to have you on uh well if anyone wants to uh to support the podcast give it a rate and review on apple Podcasts or spotify or just tell a friend 
And uh, yeah, it really helps a lot. My stuff's at murphymclaughlin.com. Bill, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. My pleasure, Murphy. And uh, take care, everyone. Keep watching The Simpsons. Keep uh, collecting. And I will do the same. <laughs> and as we always say here on Murph's Tavern, bye. Bye.